This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell from the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Yana Firestone, welcome to Better Reading. Thank you so much for having me. It is truly an honour, honestly. I'm thrilled to be here. Well, I'm thrilled to have you, Yana, because I think sometimes books come to you at a certain time in your life, Mm -hmm. and this book has come to me at the right time. So let's introduce you. Yana is a therapist, podcaster, and writer with a degree in psychology and a master's in counselling. She has spent 15 years working as a grief and trauma counsellor. In 2019, she launched her podcast, The Curious Life, where she interviews prominent Australians about turning tragedy into triumph and navigating life's challenges. Her new book, Embracing Change, discusses strategies to unlocking your potential and breaks down what often holds us back from reaching goals. Absolutely. As I said, it really was a very, it was a book for me right Mm. now. Congratulations. You've done well in your communication and the way that you have simplified it for the reader. Oh, thank you so much. That really, you know, is the most meaningful thing that you can Mm. say. And as we were saying off air, all of the things that I discuss in the book, we all go through at different Mm. times, you know, grief, anxiety, all of those things. So to know that it has resonated with you and that my sharing some of my stories and maybe some of the simple strategies that that I've put into the book have helped, even in the smallest way, is just absolutely amazing to hear. So thank you. You know, I think it's really rewarding. You know, I've worked in the book industry for a long time, but when I do, you know, if I know one of my friends, one of my family's going through pain or, you know, a hard time in their life, whatever it may be, it's so rewarding to give them the right book for the moment, Mm -hmm. isn't it? That's, I mean, I guess you do that a lot, don't you? You know, for, it's funny. I'm a I'm an avid reader. I love it's my favorite thing to do is to read. And often, you know, I'm on the spot. People will say, "Oh, what's your favorite? Or what are you reading at the moment?" And I have twenty five thousand things that go through my mind, and I can't nail it down to one. Yeah, yeah. So you're right. When the right book just kind of lands in your lap, it's a bit of a gift because mm-hmm. then I do the same thing. I hand it around to everyone and recommend it to everyone and then it's gone into mm. the <laughs> bookshelf mm. of my mind. Mm. But books yeah. can be really healing like that. Um, so tell me, I want to go back and, you know, tell me how your career started and how you came to be doing what you're doing. Sure. So I came to psychology in a bit of an unconventional way. I actually went back to study five years after finishing school. I was on a bit of a different trajectory to begin with. I was really into performing arts and I studied musical theatre and I was having a fabulous time being a young, silly person and enjoying life as you should. And then um, my mum 
died suddenly. And I'm so sorry. Thank you. Yeah. And that sort of gave me a bit of a kick up the bum really mm. to go and start taking life a bit more seriously. Mm. And my mum, interestingly enough, was an educational psychologist herself and my father's a psychiatrist. So in the back of my mind, I'd always thought, yeah, psychology is somewhere I'll go later on when I'm 30 or, you know, because when you're 15, 18, 21, 30 seems like the oh, pinnacle God, yeah. of adulthood. <laughs> Absolutely. That's right. So it was there in the back of my mind. And after losing mom, I, I just kind of thought, you know what, now's the time. Mm-hmm. And it just, I sort of had to grow up overnight in, in some respects. And so I enrolled in psychology and did my undergraduate and then started working. And I had all kinds of interesting jobs like working in child protection, working with victims of crime, working at the coroner's court. Big jobs. Big jobs, especially for a young green person that thinks they know a lot more than they do. Do you think that was part of your grieving process? Yeah, it's interesting. I I think I gravitated towards those Mm. heavy roles because I could identify with it. Mm-hmm. You know, I really knew what those people were going through, particularly at the coroner's court, because every single one of them lost somebody suddenly and unexpectedly, as I did. Although mum passed away in hospital and it didn't go through the coronial system, I understand from I understood from an emotional level what it was like to have life as normal one day and then completely on its head the next mm-hmm. day. Um and, you know, a little bit in the same way, I guess, with victims of crime and and at the coroner's court, uh, sorry, in child protection, you know, it's all deep trauma, heavy stuff that, I don't know, I just felt it, it felt like it fit for me at the time. So I think you're right. I think there were two things going on. I was learning the ropes as a young professional and I was absolutely walking my own path through a new normal. And millions of miles away from music theatre. <laughs> it couldn't have been more different. <laughs> I mean, absolutely. There was, there was no song and dance number in the middle of a heavy moment, you know. <laughs> no. No. Okay, all right, so you, you started doing that. And then tell me how you got to here. So after about, I don't know how long it was, maybe eight, ten years, something like that, no, maybe eight years, um, it just started to get a bit too heavy. You know, mm. my entire world was, and this is, you know, particularly for when I was at the coroner's court, coming to the end of my time there, every single thing that I was doing was death and grief. And every time I picked up the phone, every bit of work I was doing all day, every day was grief and death and trauma. And I just started feeling like, everything was heavy and everything was about death and grief and it's all I saw in the real world. It's all the news items I saw. It's it's my own awareness of everything, my own mortality. Everything was so focused on death. It, it was just too much. So I had always loved working with kids and I thought I might try and um, get a job in a school. And I also wanted to get another piece of paper. So I um, enrolled to do a master's of counselling 
And alongside that, because of my experience uh, as a counsellor already, I, I wasn't required to do any placements, but I actually asked whether I might be allowed to do a placement because I thought that might be a good way to get in with a school. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that worked for me. It gave me a fabulous opportunity. Um, the school that I did my placement with is actually where I still work today, almost 10 years later. And I was allowed to hit the ground running. You know, the psychologist there saw my background and said, oh, great, you already know what you're doing. Well, here you go. Here's your caseload. Off you go. And it was such a wonderful change of pace working with mostly very well children. Uh, there'd be one or two of the maybe bigger, heavier things, but everything else was behavioural, social, emotional stuff that was a, a world away from what I'd been dealing with, you know, mm. in the coronial world. And it was wonderful. It sort of breathed new life into my career and, and my headspace. So I've been there for a long time. I worked at another school in between uh, my placement and actually getting a job at this school, but it was just where I wanted to be, working with young people and in an environment. Working in schools is, it's kind of a magical thing. You know, you're part of a community in a way that you're not really in other jobs. And I guess there's hope as well, you know, that you're there to help people get better, get well, so they can move on and they can grow up and it's the beginning of adult life, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Absolutely. And there's a joy there that mm. is mm. not around in other mm. workplaces. Mm. And you're surrounded by professionals who are passionate about bringing out the best in kids and wanting the best for them. So there's, as you say, yeah, there's this great hope and joy being mm. in a, a school. My sister uh, is a deputy principal at a school um, and I was ages ago I was on a board of a school and what has struck me over the years I don't think I was a particularly good student but I did like my teachers is the dedication the work Mm. particularly during COVID where teachers had to pivot so you know more than anyone else it's I I feel that they there is a real care factor that sometimes we don't acknowledge Absolutely. I think teachers work harder than mm. anybody. You know, I agree. Everyone, I agree. Everyone's, yeah, and they, people are quick to say, oh, you know, school holidays, how luxurious, you know, but they are working from, you know, eight o'clock in the morning, sometimes much earlier, mm. till five, six o'clock at night, and then in, on the weekends and on the holidays the amount of admin and meetings and things that they're required to go to. Oh, and weekend sports and, you know, just so much. Massive. Um, Do you find, I mean, I'm trying to think back, was there a counsellor when I was growing up? And I'm, of course, I'm a lot older than you, but I don't think there was. How new is it? Was there a counsellor at your school when you were growing up? There was, um, I, but I went to a private school, so perhaps right. that might be why. Um, yeah. But it's definitely becoming much more common. I think mm-hmm. uh, it, the focus on well-being and mental health is now very clear and uh, there's a lot more money going into that space. So I think people are taking the mental health of kids much more seriously and I think most schools have at least some sort of well-being person, Mm. um, if not a counsellor, whether it's someone from the Department of Education that is rotating through a number of schools or whether there's somebody who's 
permanently based at the school mm. but it's it's definitely I think much more common now than it was mm. um mm. it's interesting to me um when I see little kids like even primary school age kids suffering anxiety mm. and then I see their parents and they you know in a good family they're in a good home and yet you know for mm. whatever reason they're nervous or they're anxious yeah yeah, yeah absolutely and I think you know, I wonder, writing this book was interesting for me because, you know, you take a moment to reflect on your life in a way that you probably don't ever have the time to do unless you're doing hours and hours of therapy. But I was able to look back on my own childhood and recognise some anxiety that was there for me from a very young age. And I, like you say, came from a really happy family, well-loved. My parents are, you know, mental health professionals and there's there's nothing that could have happened to me to cause this anxiety. So I, I, I go back to that nature, nurture, you know, what is it in my biology that made me anxious in year three when I was having trouble with a scary teacher. Mm. Um, and and I think it must just always have been there and maybe we just pay more attention to it now or we understand how to look after kids a bit better now rather than just kind of, oh, come on, get on with it, you know, we don't have time for this kind of mm. attitude perhaps of the past. Um, Do you know, um, as an adult and really only recently I heard about, because I don't have uh, children of my own, but I heard about self-harming. Mm. And I don't, if it was happening when I was at school, I was completely unaware of it. Mm. But I do seem to hear about it a lot more. Yeah. It, mm. I, I also feel like it's much more prevalent now. You do, um, yeah. I do. I, it was very rare. If I think back to when I was at school, mm. I had one friend that um, I know was self-harming, but it's not something that I think was as readily talked about. It was a bit more scary. Uh, It certainly can be very scary now, particularly for parents if they hear that their child is self-harming. But for me, I understand that, you know, it's an expression of that child's mental state. It's not great. We know that they're not okay and that that's the way that they're dealing with their big emotions, mm. but it's not always, you know, we often think it's an elite, the next step is, you know, suicidality, but it's not usually a leap, a link so clearly like that. But I do think, yeah, I there's a part of me, this might be a bit sort of controversial, but I there's a part of me that feels like the internet has a little part to play in that. Kids have access to so much now that if they're feeling terrible, they can find their communities online, which is mm. wonderful on, on one hand. But on the other hand, they can really find out about a lot of things, how to do things to themselves that maybe is not the best. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So tell me how you came to writing this book and why you've decided to write it. Well, I um, I started doing the podcast, The Curious mm. Life, when I was on maternity leave with my second son. And I, I love it. Hang on, I'm just going to stop you right there. <laughs> Almost every person that I've interviewed recently, for whatever reason, has got two children and decided they needed to write a book or do a podcast. And I think, <laughs> isn't two children busy enough? <laughs> I know you would think so. But I think, yeah. you know, the, the first time around, you're so busy with the, you, you have no idea what you're doing. And every minute is focused on the baby. And you're thinking, oh my God, this is the scariest thing ever. But the second one comes along and it's just sort of like, oh, whatever. Uh, He's been there, sleeping. done that. <laughs> yeah, what do I do now? This is really boring. Um, so, yeah, and I, I guess I was sort of itching to use my skills in a different way and I'd been, I'd been doing some uh, writing for, you know, freelance writing for different magazines, online mags and things like that. And I just wanted to find a way to combine the writing the creative part of it with yeah. the therapeutic side of me as well. Yeah. Uh, so I just thought I'd give it a go. I had absolutely no idea what I was doing, learned it all from Google and away I went. I was really lucky to just get some incredibly generous and amazing people on the first season with no runs on the board. I was just cold emailing people and saying, hey, this is what I'm going to be doing. Would you be keen to come on the show? This is what I'd like to talk about. And they were absolutely okay about it, which blows my mind. So I was really lucky, fortunate to have these amazing people. And so the show just kind of has has grown from there. And then I was approached by a firm press to think about making a book about anything I wanted, but something using my skills again in a different way. And that was terrifying, exciting, you know, thrilling. And I had to then go head to toe with my own imposter syndrome and anxiety and get myself yeah. over the line with all of that. Like me, okay, mm-hmm. God, what, who would want to listen to me? What have I got mm-hmm. to say? Mm-hmm. Um, I hear you. I hear you. I say that to myself every day. Isn't it terrible? Yeah. I, yeah. I, it's such an awful thing, imposter syndrome. I think it's there for everyone. Mm. And we just don't realise that everyone else is feeling like mm. the same fraud as the next person. Mm. So, yeah, I, I luckily for me, I, I sort of I met with them in February. We love, said, well, we love a firm. We love them. Oh, they're so wonderful, aren't yeah. they? They yeah, truly yeah. are. Yeah. yeah. Uh, genuine, you know, believers in writers. And mm. that was just, that was incredible to feel. Again, confronting and I kept, thinking like, hang on, I think I'm in the wrong meeting. I think Did they really want me? Yeah, they must be, I think they've got me confused with somebody else. That's right. <laughs> That's it. Um, but, you know, lucky for me, they gave me a really short deadline. So we met in Feb and they said we'd 
we would need the full working draft by the 1st of August. I was like, okay, so I really have to either just do this or forget about it. So I just jumped in and yeah, it was an incredible experience, you know, putting myself into that position of just Mm. kind of saying, all right, this is what, this is the goal. This is how many words we're going to write every day. This is, you know, Mm. these are the concepts. This is how much I'm going to share of my own life and just threw myself in and it was so exciting. Yeah. So did you think it was a subject that there was a gap in the mark? Like, did we say this earlier? I feel sometimes that when I read books like yours, uh, Embracing Change, I think, oh, duh, I know that. I know that. But you do know it, but you don't do anything about it until you read it. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think think it was just a theme that resonated with me personally. Yeah. And it felt like something I could write because, Mm. A, I understand all of those fears and anxieties that do hold us back. Mm. You know, we I, I've been a victim of them myself uh, mm. in many ways. Mm. And I just thought, you know, we're in this crazy time that continues to be Never this ending. constant upheaval. That's right. Yeah. When are we going to wake up from this nightmare and saying mm. things to myself like, you know, we just expect that this is all going to end, but is it going to end? We don't, mm. this isn't a movie. We don't have like the ending wrapped up. This could go mm. on for years and years and what can we do about it? So I just thought the theme of embracing change because it's the one single constant that we are going to experience until our final days um, might be helpful to people. Mm. And then when I just sat down and thought about what are all the things that stop us from actually taking the leap? you know, every single thing kind of resonated with me. And I thought if it resonates with me, it's got to resonate with other people because I'm just like everyone else. So it was an interesting experiment, I guess, because as a therapist, you don't normally talk about yourself and share all of your own personal adventures and misadventures. Uh, And so that was a new thing for me, just kind of putting it all out there. Mm. And I thought, you know, who wants to hear another book about psychological theory? It's so boring. It's boring for me. You know, how can I make this resonate for people? So I thought sharing my stories and sharing the stories of some of the well-known people uh, that I've interviewed for the podcast might just help flesh out the concepts and make them tangible and real for people so that it connects. Mm. So you know that whatever it is you're feeling, other people feel it as well. As terrible as COVID has been, and it has been terrible to a lot of people, lives lost, people losing jobs, careers and whatever, but it has been also an upheaval. I mean, Mm. and that has caused problems in itself. But I try and look at the positive with that. Like it has really, really changed the way we live You know, we're not all living like we used to live and we've had to embrace change. You know, we've gone from lockdown. I mean, you guys in Melbourne, huge. You've gone from lockdown to not lockdown to, but also even the way we work, even the way we talk, you know, everything. And I think people have underestimated how much they've actually coped and survived and, and some people have flourished, right? Absolutely. I mean, businesses have grown. People have had to pivot and come up with, you know, even in our family, you know, my partner lost his job in events management because, you know, where are the events? Yeah. Um, 
And, you know, so we just kind of threw together a, a little side hustle and that's now all he's doing. Mm. Uh, so he's really had to be one, one of those people that pivots and, and just makes do with whatever's going on. Mm. Um, and I think the resilience that everybody has shown mm. is underestimated massively. You know, we talk about is lockdown effective, is it not? Are we doing things, are we trying hard enough, are we not? You know, we're all just constantly in this debate about how the government's managing it, how we're personally handling it, but we're not ever stopping to think about how incredible we have all been to just take it all on and run with it, you know, no matter what your position is. I think about the little kids, like the kids that started kindy and the kids that started first grade. Now, you could really put a negative slant on that because how Mm. disruptive has that been to those children? But they're they're kind of resilient. That that's mm. what they know, and that's how school is. Sometimes it starts. Sometimes you have to go home. I mean, I'm in San Francisco mm. at the moment, so if somebody gets COVID test positive in a class, then everybody gets sent home. Well, that's now the life. You know, that's yeah. We expect that it's no big deal. Yeah. Um, so we have all been through so much change. But do you know what's incredible about it? It's been a global. Yeah, for everyone, hasn't it? Absolutely. My son, my eldest, started school this year. Yeah, and wow. he's had to embrace a whole lot of change. We're doing rapid tests on him at home twice a week, and yeah, wow. you know, a year ago, having him tested in the drive-through testing site was like I was taking him to be slaughtered. The yeah. <laughs> fear and trauma for him, truly Awful. screaming, crying, fighting for his mm. life. You could just mm. see that fight or flight response. He went in completely into fight mode trying to Was save himself. Was it the fear of the nasal? Oh, yeah. yeah. Awful. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, he's strapped into the car seat and someone comes in in this moon yeah. suit through the window and they've got yeah. something they want to stick up their nose and down their throat. And yeah. now, Awful. you know, he says to me this morning, oh, you forgot to do my test this morning, Mum. I was like, no, I did it yesterday, Dal. It's okay. Yeah. You wow. know? Yeah. I mean, they've they've just, you're right, everybody's on a weekly basis just bouncing mm. back and adapting to the new changes and accepting whatever the new normal is. And mm. it's crazy to think that we're living through this time. Mm. Mm. So as, as a therapist and as a counsellor, is it, I think sometimes we have to take the time out to stop and think about it and to read books like yours and realise that we are in it. And, you know, what we could be doing could be 80% right and 20% wrong or whatever, but really kind of accept that this is what we're going through as well. I mean, is that Mm. part of accepting change? Absolutely. And I think in this very busy life that we all lead now, we rarely take the time to stop Mm. and reflect and think about what's going on and how we're managing things. It's Mm. usually only after events when we've, you know, had a meltdown or lost it at someone or we're having burnout symptoms that we stop and think, oh, okay, hang on, maybe I could be doing this differently. And throughout the book, you know, there's there, there are different strategies that I, I talk about, but I really like the idea of journaling. And I know that's really woo-woo for a lot of people and, and people just aren't into that. 
But it's not just about writing a dear diary today, I blah, blah. Mm. You can just, it's just about taking that moment for yourself, whether it's the same time every day or when you find that moment to just sit in the sun or just before you go to bed and just download a little bit about what's been happening. Mm. It doesn't have to be long form. It can be dot points. It can be however it feels right. But that's one way to actually stop and take stock of it all. Mm. And I think once you do that and you get it out of your head, we don't even know what's in our head until Mm. we start kind of getting it out, whether we're writing or talking about it. Mm. And I think it just helps to put things into perspective in a way that maybe it wouldn't if we just kind of kept motoring through whatever we're doing. Mm. So I that, think- that, that was that worked for me in lockdown. Like, you know, I mm. mean, we had that last lockdown. It was 105 nights or whatever it was. Mm. And, um, you know, I was really pushing back against it in the first couple of days. I was like, you know, yeah. really just not dealing with it. And then mm. once I decided, okay, we're going to have to do this, I started looking for the positives. And one of them was sitting on a park bench and looking up. I have a dog, mm. I walk the dog, but usually you race out, you walk the dog, you say hello to these people blah, 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 and you race back to the apartment. And I thought, well, I've got nothing to race back for. Sit yes. down, take a breath and enjoy being out here. And mm. as simple as that. I know? love that. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Because you're right as well. Even when you're going for a walk, it's busy. Yeah. You're walking, 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 might say hello to people and you're going yeah. home. There's, there's none of that stopping and mm. just being still, mm. which we need, our minds need and our bodies need. Mm. And now more than ever, I think. Now we've run out of time, Yana. Oh, such a lovely chat. I've enjoyed my conversation. I want to say this though, just before we go, and I did it to you, I think, at the beginning of the podcast, is it when you go to a dinner party and you tell people you're a therapist and a counsellor, do people just start telling you all their problems? (laughs) You know, yeah, it does happen. It does happen. But I, I feel like that's kind of like anyone's job. You know, if someone well, says they're a dentist, you're like, oh, you know what, actually. Yeah. Well, I was <laughs> going to say I have the same problem because I go to dinner parties and I say to people I work in books and then they ask me what to read. So there you go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you have to come with a pre-prepared list. <laughs> well, I do actually. Well, usually if they tell me what their last what the last book they read was, I can tell them what their next book was. Oh, yeah. I love yeah. that. Yeah, oh, there fantastic. You go. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> anyway, such a joy, Anna. Thank you so much oh, for your time. Thank you so much. It is such an honour to be on this show, especially, you know, a alongside people like Miriam Margulies and all these incredible people. So really thank you so much. It's such a pleasure chatting with you. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere, or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBook Store. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape 
imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.